We read from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, from chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go! and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Good morning. It's uh, really wonderful to be here and to have had the opportunity to enjoy uh, some time back home and back with my parents. And uh, I've been asked just to share a little bit about what I have been doing and what I will, of course, continue to be doing over the next year and a half. And for those of you Uh, Most people, I think, here are very familiar faces. I think I recognize just about all of you. So you know something of my story. Um, But I have been in Vancouver, Canada, at a place called Regent College, which is a Christian graduate school, uh, very highly uh, respected and known internationally. It's had people like J.I. Packer, uh, Eugene Peterson, to name some of the people who have um, been professors at that college. And so it's actually a real privilege to be able to go there and to study with um, people who have spent their life um, studying the Word of God and living it out and teaching it. And so I spent actually most of my time uh, in school. Um, I have a couple of classes each week 
and their subjects range from anything uh, such as preaching and worship, which I'll be doing this next semester, into uh, topics like systematic theology and hermeneutics and biblical criticism. <laughs> Pretty hardcore stuff, and um, I can certainly say that I am learning a lot, and I hope that in that process that I am changing as well. And like I said, it's a real privilege to be in a Christian graduate school because there is worship, there is prayer, but there is also the process of learning and learning from a Christian framework and a Christian uh, worldview. And so I do a lot of reading. I read a lot of articles. I read loads of books, and I do a lot of paper writing as well. So even though I'm in class maybe six to nine hours a week, there's a lot of time out of that spent with a head in the book and reading lots and learning and trying to communicate that back in some form. At the same time, I work a couple of jobs to help make ends meet. Vancouver is not a cheap city to live in. And you will know even here the price of many things has risen. And it can be a challenge. So I work uh, about eight hours in the library dishing out books to other students. Um, and I do a cleaning job as well, about three and a half hours a week cleaning a kitchen, um, a student kitchen. <laughs> it's so interesting. <laughs> you know, you open the fridge and you're just like, what on earth is going on in here? Um, and along with that, there is more. Um, I am doing a ministry placement at a church, a Baptist church in downtown Vancouver. And about 10 hours a week, I spend uh, working with them. And one of my major projects at the moment, which will start in February, is I've been designing a Bible study discipleship course based on the book of Colossians. And I've been working very much with the Alpha course in, um, in our church and have developed some good relationships with people. Some have become Christians, some are still seeking and searching, but they want to continue. They want to continue meeting together because we have developed relationship. And so there is really a gap between people who come to Alpha and the church. They've had this experience, say, on a Monday night where they have a meal, we share together, they hear something of um, the Christian message, but they're not quite ready for life in the church. They're not ready to come always on a Sunday. It's a very daunting experience for a lot of people now. And so we're trying to bridge the gap a little bit, firstly by continuing the relationships, but also by continuing to actually present the Christian message and to not be ashamed of that, just to teach it as it is and to help people um, walk in this new life that they are being invited to. And so it's really a pioneer thing for me. There's, this has not existed in the church, um, in the church in Vancouver. And so it's a big challenge because I'm really writing it from scratch and to fit that particular location. And so you can tell from all that I am pretty busy. Um, the weeks are long. I can be out most of the day sometimes. It's a challenge. But at the same time, I know it's the right place. I'm in the place that... Jesus has invited me to be in and participating in his work that he is doing in, of all places, Vancouver, Canada. And so I really covet your support 
and your prayers. And I know that many of you continue to pray for me. You write letters to me. (laughs) I get snail mail, which is wonderful. Um, I love email, but there's nothing like getting a letter from Alma in the post. And so I really appreciate the faithfulness of this congregation that continues, even when I am silent on the other end, that continues to prayerfully support me. And so I thank you very much for that. And so we um, come to our passage today, Matthew, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And today, as um, David has already told us, is the 12th day after Christmas. And it's the celebration that we know as Epiphany Sunday. And the celebrate, this is a celebration of the revelation of God the Son through the incarnation of Jesus Christ as human being. But not only that, we particularly remember the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. And it is that that is associated with our reading today, with the visit of the Magi. And our English word, epiphany, comes from a Greek word, as do many words. And uh, since I've been learning a little bit of Greek, I thought I'd test it out here. I may not say it right. But it comes from the Greek epiphaneia, which literally means a fitting manifestation. It's based on two parts, epi, which means on or fitting, and then phaino, which is the verb for showing forth, the shining. So what it basically means is that what has been hidden has now been revealed. It has been manifested. And so we get the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles. And it is based on Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3. And this is really um, the basis for what we read in Matthew chapter 2. It says, Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And that's what happens in this chapter. We see these non-Israelite magi coming out of the east, coming out of the nations to follow the light of the star. And they come to visit the Christ child. And as they visit the Christ child, so the Christ child visits them. He is revealed to them for who he really is. That is Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew has told us about that in the first chapter. And so as the Magi journeyed to Emmanuel, the Christ child, we journey with them through the text of Matthew. And I think it is a text we hear every year. And in some ways, when I came to this story, I think, you know, I know it. We have the nativity scene. We have the shepherds. The magi come. They give their gifts, right? That's pretty much how I have read it. But I have to admit that I have been extremely challenged by reading this passage. That it is so much deeper, so much deeper than what we can read on the surface. And I hope that is something that I can convey to you today. And I think the question, um, what can you offer to the king, which is the theme that was given, I have to admit, is not the right question. And I've 
I've been challenged by that because I don't think the gifts are the center of the story. It's not always about the gift, the frankincense, the myrrh, the gold. There is so much more in this passage. And so as we read, there are three main characters that appear in the story. Jesus, Herod, and the Magi. Matthew, in the opening verses of his gospel, have already introduced us to Jesus, Emmanuel, the with us God. Emmanuel, the with us God. God is with us. And in chapter 2, at the beginning, we are introduced to Jesus, the child. The with us child, the with us man. If you're like me, when you think and read about Jesus, we mostly think about this 30-something man ministering away in Israel. That's how I think of Jesus. When I talk to people about Jesus, I think of the man. I think of the man that ministered, who healed, who taught, who was crucified, died, buried, and raised. But here in Matthew, we're introduced first and foremost to a child. It is a term that Matthew chooses to use the most. He calls him Jesus once in this chapter. The rest of the time he is called the child. But this story also reminds us that Jesus, the Messiah, is also king of the Jews. But in describing Jesus as a child, Matthew highlights for us Christ's fragility, humanity, and sonship to God. Yet we know this child is recognized as more than what meets the eye. It's interesting that for Matthew, the author, what, what he explains most or introduces most in this passage has to do with geographical locations. It is the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem in Judea. And as this birth happens in Bethlehem in, in Judea, King Herod sits in the city of Jerusalem. He sits in the capital city. And it is Jerusalem where the Magi first go. It is where they first seek the king. But it is in the town of Bethlehem, a little town of Bethlehem, that the stirrings of something new are happening, a new king and a new kingdom. If we travel further into Matthew, beyond our current passage, we find that Jesus' career chases the career of ancient Israel almost exactly. Dale Bruner, in his commentary on Matthew, says this, Jesus goes from the promised land in Israel to the classic land of escape, 
Egypt. Just as all the patriarchs had done in the beginning, then like a second Moses, in a kind of second exodus, Jesus is called up out of Egypt to return to the land of promise again. By means of his geography, Matthew is saying, look, the new Israel. Jesus is the new Israel wrapped in the life of a single Jewish child. Jesus is the one who will now do all of what Israel was supposed to do. And this is the Jesus that we are to recognize in this passage. And so, as we think of Jesus as this new Israel, as we see the links between Jesus and Moses, and Jesus leading a second exodus, we become aware of the striking similarities between an older story of Pharaoh and Moses. And so as there was a Pharaoh in the Exodus story, so we have a new Pharaoh. We have Herod. And we are told that these events, the stirrings in Bethlehem, happen in the time of King Herod. Historically, Herod was quite a mixture. He was racially Arab, religiously Jewish, culturally Greek, and politically Roman. Herod's alarm at the arrival of the Magi and the mention of a new king of the Jews is somewhat understandable. Herod had no ancestral right to the throne. And in his own paranoia and drive to retain his crown, he had killed three of his sons. Caesar Augustus, the emperor, only part in jest, had said, it is better to be Herod's pig than his son. However, Herod teaches us something. Herod teaches us that a reaction of the raw human nature to the kingship of Jesus is rebellion. If Jesus is Lord, then we are not. Herod is what I am deep down inside. Herod still lives, tempting me to resist the real king. But Herod had a chance. In seeking out the religious leaders and teachers when the Magi had come to him, the clergy and the theologians, he too heard the words of the ancient text of Micah 5 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. God handed to Herod and to the leaders his oral invitation to join the search, to join the search for the Messiah, for the Christ child, 
they too could have taken that short trip to Bethlehem. But they did not. As Herod spoke the words, go search for the child and not go search for the king, he seals his own fate. And as John 1.11 tells us, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not accept him. The leaders of the day, the clergy and the theologians, refused to accept the invitation to come to the Messiah. So in part, with this passage, we are challenged with a question, who is the true king? It's interesting that Matthew repeatedly calls Herod king only until the Magi worship. Only until the Magi worship Christ. After this worship, Herod is dethroned and never again called king. A new king and a new kingdom have arrived. And it is the Magi's worship that is Jesus' coronation. And so as the religious leaders and Herod reject Jesus as a new king, it is the mysterious Eastern Gentile non-Jewish Magi who lead as examples. These Magi, likely from Persia, Babylonia, perhaps modern-day Iraq area, were known to be scholars of the stars. At the root of this ancient study was a conviction that the microcosm of humanity is in a magnetic, symbiotic relationship with the macrocosm of the heavenly bodies. Astronomy and astrology together. Astronomy being the study of the laws, movements of the stars, and astrology being the study of the message of the stars' movements for directing human life, rightly separated today, but in ancient times, were joined together. And so the Magi were likely astrologers. And for Israel, these people were considered to be idolaters. They were people who taught others to look not to the Creator and His law, His Torah for guidance, but to their own wisdom and calculations. It's interesting that the Magi speak very little in this passage, other than to ask for directions. I wonder if they were really women. (laughs) Yet they play a key role by placing the Magi in the Christmas story. Matthew tells us that God surmounts racial and moral boundaries in his saving work by calling to the Son those considered most unworthy. They are walking illustrations of God's grace, manifesting the words of Hosea 2. I will show love to those who are called unloved, and to those who are called not my people, I will say, you are my people. And they will answer, you are our God. We know these magi are led by a star. It is what drew them on their journey. 
Yet the star could only take them so far. The star, revelation by creation, led the Magi to Israel's scripture in Jerusalem, the revelation by Christ. The star did not lead the Magi directly to Christ. The star brought them to Jerusalem. Only scripture brought them to Bethlehem. Or in another way, creation's revelation can bring us only halfway. Scriptural revelation has the power to bring us home. It is God's word that directs the quest to its final destination. As they come to the Christ, they bring their luxury gifts, fit for a king, the gifts of the affluent. And we should be reminded here of another visit, the visit of the Queen of Sheba with her gifts of gold and great quantity of spices to the son of David in Jerusalem. And of the imagery that that visit provided for subsequent depictions of the homage of the nations to the Jewish Messiah. And once again, from Isaiah, herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, And all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. So it is interesting for Matthew. It is the least desirable of people who are invited to the birthday party of the Lord. And it is these outsiders who ultimately recognize and worship the child as king. It is the nations who come from afar and offer praises to the Lord. And so the role of the Magi is complete. And as with anyone who meets the Christ child for who he really is, they can never go back home the same route. The Magi must return home, but they must go by a different way. And so, as Jesus, the Christ child, sits at the center of this story, what does Matthew teach us? There is a clear contrast that comes out through this passage. The Magi, who come to Christ in faith and worship in their heart, Versus Herod, who came with rebellion and murder on the mind. The Magi serve as our encouragement, Herod as our warning. Who is king in your heart? If Jesus is Lord, then I am not. How will you come to Christ? With faith and worship? or with rebellion and hate. But there's something else in this story. It is the little shining key, the star. 
It is a star that directs the Magi. And it is this star that presents a challenge for the church today. From now on, the work of the ministry is to do the work of the star so that others may feel the deepest and most profound joy. What was said of the star then should be said of the church's ministry ever since. It came and stood, shining right over the place where the child lay. We are to be the new star, shining in the darkness, pointing the way to the with us God, to Emmanuel, Messiah, King of the Jews, the Christ child. It is the church that points the way. It is our ministry to stand shining right over the place where the child lay. Let me finish with the words from Isaiah 60. It's a passage that's been referenced a little bit. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. May we be that shining light in the darkness, that nations may come to the light and kings to the brightness of our dawn. Amen.